Hello, friends and listeners and family. This is episode 51, and it's a bit of a special occasion. Firstly, yesterday, June 16th, was the Rambler's birthday. We actually had a show on my birthday last year. We also have a new logo for the first time, and we're very excited about that. I'm also excited about this week's topics. We're going to start with one which we ran out of time last week, and that's the uh, upcoming midterm elections, which most pundits are predicting a complete shellacking for the Democrats due to the various catastrophes happening, happening during Biden's first term in office. Inflation, rising prices and living, baby formula shortages, and some questionable foreign policies has lowered old Joe's approval ratings quite drastically. As for the midterms and some potential bad news for the Democrats, we have a piece here from the Guardian site, and it says here, pro-Trump Republicans' primary wins raise alarm about U.S. democracy. In pivotal primary races from Nevada to South Carolina on Tuesday, Republican voters chose candidates who fervently embraced Donald Trump's lie about a stolen election, prompting warnings from Democrats that the U.S. democracy will be at stake in the November elections. Victories of pro-Trump candidates in Nevada set the stage for matchups between election deniers and embattled Democrats in a state both parties see as critical in the midterms. In South Carolina, a vote to uh, impeach Trump for citing the January 6th uh, insurrection proved one Republican's undoing, while another survived the former president's wrath to win the nomination. In South Texas, where Hispanic voters have shifted sharply toward the Democratic Party, a Democrat flip, flipped a House seat uh, long held by a Democrat. The loss was a stark warning that Democrats standing with a crucial voting bloc is slipping. Are they losing their minds, these Hispanic voters? I mean, I... I I don't understand. Castro's gone. You know, I mean, I know I'm not saying all of these Hispanic voters who are voting, who have become the fervent Republicans are all, you know, of Cuban descent. But I don't understand. I mean, do they like guns? I mean, I guess I could do some more research into why these uh, Hispanic voters uh, are so sharply uh, uh, led towards the Republican Party, um, especially, you know, with the whole uh, immigration deal. I don't quite understand that. So, moving on, Nevada, a swing state that has trended Democratic in past elections, will play host to a number of consequential races this fall for House, Senate, Governor, Secretary, and Secretary of State, as Democrats seek to defend narrow majorities in Congress. In the 50-50 state, every race, oh, excuse me, in 50-50 Senate, every race will matter. The party is saddled with a deeply unpopular president and a political system primed for revolt against the party in power. Inflation and the war in Ukraine have caused... The cost of food and gas to shoot up, while angst over gun violence and the shortage of baby formula deepenly, deepens uh, voter frustration. Now, I, I think about when Obama first became president and, you know, all the uh, crap that he got uh, left on his table by uh, old George W. Now, you know, it took Obama a year or two. I know he had to sell out to the Wall Street banks and everything. But, I mean, I think he did an admirable job of sort of getting the country back on track, you know, with the wars and everything. And, um, you know, Trump, you know, with his stupid tariffs in, uh, with China, which we're going to get to later, and, you know, some of the other uh, policies that, that he was a part of. Um, but uh, Biden has failed in basically every uh, way imaginable. Um, and I, I, think he's, I think a lot of you agree he's has spent way too much war, uh, excuse me, money in the war in Ukraine. As for the, uh, the gas uh, prices, you know, I can't really say for sure what the reason is. I mean, they want to blame it on the, uh, the war in the Ukraine. But I, I believe we were only getting like 6% of our, of our gasoline uh, oil or whatever from Russia. 
So, I mean, uh, you know, and then the supply chain problems and everything. So, you know, I'd hate to just throw this all on Joe Biden, but uh, I don't like to uh, be like a broken record, but, you know, he's of advanced age, and I just think he uh, he can't handle uh, all the shit that's going on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame because, uh, you know, his failure is, is, is beneficial to Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. God forbid Ron DeSantis runs. I mean, he might even be worse than, than Trump uh, in a lot of ways. Anyway, continuing here, Republicans view the Senate, uh, Nevada Senate race as one of their best chances of flipping a Democratic seat. They also sense an opportunity to make inroads in a state dominated by Democrats who were guided to power by the late Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. Late? So, uh, so Harry Reid passed away? And they say late? Oh, I was unaware of that. I just got the old uh, nod here from a few uh, folks I have with me. My family members, yeah, oh, I didn't even know oh, Harry passed away. So that's a shame, you know. He's a, he's a, yeah, he's a decent guy, you know. Anyway, the senator up for re-election is Catherine Cortez Masco, who was his chosen successor. Uh, Adam Laxalt, a former state attorney general endorsed by Trump, easily won the Republican primary to take on Cortez Masco in one of the most fiercely contested races of the cycle. Now, um, you know, this article is focusing on the trump endorsed um politicians who i know in some other states they haven't done as well um i, I read a piece uh actually it's from the wall street journal now you know uh, this is like a guilty uh what do they call that a uh what are they, not a guilty pleasure a guilty pleasure you know yeah i don't want you guys to think that i read the wall street journal too often but um you know i i did, had a, a editorial there about how you know a lot of trump's uh you know so supporters that are running for office were doing poorly, but this piece here in the Guardian looks like maybe, oh, oh, let's get to this quick before we run out of time here. Jim Merchant, a former lawyer maker who has dabbled in the QAnon conspiracy theory and openly embraced the idea of overturning elections will be the uh, Republican nominee to become Secretary of State and therefore the top election official in the swing state that could be crucial for determining the presidential contest in 2024. QAnon, back in the news. I mean, I did a whole show um, and, and, you know, I've said this and I, I got a, I know a lot of you guys, I was on the uh, show there with the uh, uncivil disobedience fella. I know a lot of you folks out there that listen to me, you know, uh, Chris Richards and the other fella. And, um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we were talking about, you know, cause I, I wanted to get a QAnon like enthusiast on the show and kind of debate them on, on the whole, uh, ridiculousness of the whole thing. And, you know, they said, you gotta be careful, you know, you gotta have your, well, you know, you gotta have everything in line cause you don't want to. You don't want to be a, you know, you don't want to quote lose a debate to a QAnon member because then, you know, there's nowhere else to go else to go but down after that or up with that. So, you know, I, I, but I still love to have one. I would love to just, and I'd love to have like a real educated QAnon person, like somebody who went to like fucking Harvard or something and come on the show and and like, you know, explain to me like, I, I don't want to get into the whole, you know, the Great Awakening and all that bullshit. I, I did it back uh, if you want to listen to episode eleven, but oh boy, QAnon. So yeah, they're making uh, some more headways in the old elections. Anyway, here, the elevation of denying uh, election denying uh, Republicans across the U.S. comes even as a bipartisan House panel investigating the Capitol attack unspools damning uh, testimony from Trump's inner circle, discrediting the former president's claims, which we're going to get to in a bit. Um, in South Carolina, Republicans ousted the five-term incumbent Tom Rice, who crossed Trump and loyalists by voting to impeach the former president. So, yeah, some bad news in some of these states. Um even if Trump doesn't run, Trumpism is alive and well, and it's a dangerous thing. You know, I mean, Ron DeSantis is like, he, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a flag a waver of Donald Trump for sure. Um, and I'm, th- I'm through, you know, it seems, uh, you know, popular uh, thoughts are that he would be the one that would, um, 
that would like be the, uh, the you know the heir apparent for Trumpism. Let's get to Georgia here. But as in Georgia, there were limits to his influence. Another Republican House incumbent, Nancy Mace, fended off a Trump back, back challenger. Unlike in Rice's staunch conservative district, Mace, who did not vote to impeach but did criticize Trump, held on by attracting support from suburban voters who abandoned the party during the Trump years. On social media, Trump spun the evening as a resounding success. Mace's challenger, Katie Arrington, uh, he said, was a very long shot, who did far better than expected. The, quote, impeacher was ousted without even a runoff. What a great night, Trump wrote on his social media site, Truth Social. Oh, that's the name of his uh, social media site? I didn't even know. I thought they all went on that crazy 4chan site, but I guess Truth Social? I mean, I, it's, I think it's a... Well, I mean, Truth Social. Did he just, like, uh, did, did he put a bunch of words in a top hat and just pull two out to come up with a, a name like that? That's ridiculous. Okay, well, let's see what's going on in Maine. In Maine, Jared Golden, one of the few Democrats to represent a House district Trump carried, will attempt to defy political gravity in a rematch against the seat's former representative, Bruce Poliquin. Golden narrowly beat Poliquin in the anti-Trump wave of 2018. With political wins reversed, Poliquin hopes to regain the seat. Uh, the state's combative former Governor Paul LePage is also attempting a comeback. Facing no op- opposition, he clinched a Republican nomination to run against the incumbent Janet Mills. Um, I always thought Maine was more of a red state, but um, we're hoping that, um, you know, the Democrats can hold on to there because I'm sure there's a lot of uh, gun nuts up there in Maine. I have a few listeners in Maine. Listen, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to like uh, sound like I'm prejudging folks in Maine because you're all very, uh, you know, New Englanders, always very smart people, but you know, it's good to see, or hopefully good to see a few Democrats uh, taking some, uh, some election victories uh, up there. So um, basically, uh, that's the site here. Um, it says, uh, we got one more little uh, Democrat, uh, excuse me, paragraph here. Perhaps most worrying for Democrats was the loss in South Texas. The Republican state representative Myra Flores cruised to victory, avoiding a runoff against her main Democratic opponent, Dan Sanchez, in a special election to fill a seat vacated by Democratic Congressman Villamon Vela. Uh, Flores will have to run again in November because redistricting, uh, boy, redistricting, sorry, that's a tough one. She is set to square off against the Democratic Congressman Vicente Gonzalez in a district considerably more left-leaning than the one she will temporarily uh, represent. So that was a little uh, sight from The Guardian. I think it was actually a pretty good uh, little piece there about what's going down or potentially going down. Um... As for those midterms, man, uh, some potential bad news for the Democrats. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would definitely consider this bad news. I mean, you know, the old lesser of two evils uh, saying it's, and it still rings true to an extent. But, you know, especially in matters of gun control, taxing the rich, uh, of course, abortion rights. So we'll be keeping a close eye on this one for sure. Anyway, next up, we're going to take a look. And not just the January 6th, uh, um, you know, not just the January 6th uh, committee thing, but the whole political action committee fraud case, which, as we know, was perpetrated by ex-Prez conman Donald J. to the tune of $250 million. Here's a little piece from something called VOANews.com. I haven't used this site yet, but let's see what we got. Trump directed $250 million in donation to Leadership PAC. 
Okay, when we got here, former U.S. President Donald Trump raised $250 million in donations in the weeks after the November 2020 presidential election for an organization ostensibly intended to fund court challenges in support of his false claims that the election was fraudulent. Instead, he directed that money to an unrelated political action committee, according to congressional investigators. Uh, it's in its second hearing about its findings, the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol made the case that the former president knew that he had lost the election, but continue raising money from his supporters by sending out appeals for donation to an election defense funds. I'm actually I'm working on a written editorial about uh, about this whole thing. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a mixture between what's going to happen to uh, the actual rioters. Uh, you know, how many of them are going to go to prison? What, you know, how many years they're going to get, whatever. And also uh, this whole fraud thing with Trump, who, you know, if there's one thing he was, he's one thing he's good at is being a fucking con man. Um, he's a terrible businessman, you know, uh, D minus president. And let me tell you, uh, he has been conning people. I mean, you know, us from the New York area, we, we've been seeing this. Since the since the 80s, you know, since since I wasn't even, uh, you know, since I was a little uh, a little tot, he's been he's been getting away with shit, and, and you know, a lot of us in this New York area are getting pretty sick of 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 hearing him or seeing him getting away with this type of stuff. The committee played recordings of depositions given by former employees of Trump's campaign, one of whom said, "quote I don't believe there is actually a fund called the Election Defense Fund." Another former Trump campaign staffer said the fund was simply, "quote a marketing." tactic. Oh, Trump, he's quite a marketer, isn't he? Anyway, um, here we go. Money went to the Leadership PAC, which is Political Action Committee. The committee said some of the money Trump's campaign raised in the weeks after the election went to paying down campaign debt and into the coffers of the RNC. A large amount also went to new leadership, uh, a leadership pack called Save America, which was formed three days after the election. I mean, he had four years to save America. Did he save anything? He wrecked a lot of stuff. And listen, you know, Biden's not, not doing much better, but, um, you know, he's, he's still going with this, with this, ah, let's save America. You know, we got to, you know, make America great again. Let's make America white again. Let's make America, uh, as, um, you know, no immigrants, uh, you know, no Muslims, you know, uh, let's give uh, tax breaks to billionaires. I mean, that's, I mean, is that, is that great? Is that great for any of you folks out there? I think, I don't, I think not. Okay, under law, politicians with leadership packs have broad latitude to spend the money they collect as they see fit. Credited, created, sorry, in the 1970s, leadership packs were originally intended to let political candidates raise money that they could use to support other candidates and political causes. But according to Bob McGuire, research director for Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, vagueness in the law has meant the packs are often used for other causes. Here's a quote from Mr. McGuire. What they become in many cases are essentially slush funds. They got to do away with these super PACs and these PACs. Uh, it's get the, the amount of money that um, these these uh, politicians are are getting. Uh, you know the funds they're getting, the ultra capitalism that you know I've written about, I've spoken about. It is getting worse, and you're seeing the drawbacks from it. You know when when the USSR collapsed, everybody witnessed the drawbacks of communism in the early '90s or the late '80s. We may very well be witnessing the drawbacks of this ultra-capitalist society where, uh, you know, politicians are, are, are getting $30 million uh, packs, you know, to run for office. And, uh, you know, jerk-offs like Elon Musk are, are you know, uh, earning hundreds of billions of dollars for God knows what. And, you know, I think we're seeing uh, some of the, 
really negative aspects of what can happen when one um, percent and you know you all see my logo with the whole you know the fists crushing the one percent and uh, you see the one percent running things uh, completely running the show and we're seeing the negative effects of that we've uh, this is another quote I believe from uh, mr. Robert McGuire we've had problems for years with members of Congress using leadership packs money to pay for luxury hotels private jet flights rounds of golf and exclusive membership only uh, golf courses. Let's just quickly. Uh, I didn't. I'm not going to talk about the LIV thing with the PGA Tour. But I actually like golf. It's very relaxing. But the whole, you know, the whole thing that the, what golf kind of represents with the with the rich fucks on the golf course with the stupid hats, you know, driving their golf carts. And I think it's a shame because golfers are a very great athletes. You know, it takes a lot of skill. I mean, I was a very good athlete at my younger age, but I couldn't hit that fucking golf ball straight. I hit it, and it would slice to the right every time. Every time. And I was, I was a, a ball player, baseball player and everything. So I got all that respect for, 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 for people who are good at golf. But just what it represents, man, and all that space it takes up, you know. That's a quick thing on golf. I don't want to get into the whole uh, LIV versus PGA Tour thing. Maybe we'll do that next week. Okay, uh, let's see how we're doing on time here. Uh, pretty okay, so let's try to finish this off. Uh, spending connected to Trump allies. Amanda Wick, a senior investigative counsel with the January 6th committee, said in a recorded statement that the new PAC, quote, made millions of dollars for, uh, of contributions to pro-Trump organizations. She said they included a $1 million contribution to the Conservative Partnership Institute, former White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows' charitable foundation, $1 million to the American First Policy Institute, an organization employing, quote, several former Trump officials, and $204,857 to the Trump Hotel collection, among other things. So he's using this money to, I guess, pay his employees at the hotels. I mean, this is a, this is a disgrace. And, you know, if some of his, you know, obviously the psychotic ones are never going to learn, but someone like the uh, just, you, you know, your your regular, I guess, Trump supporters, if, if they don't catch their drift, the drift on this, I don't know what, what will. It, 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 is a, it is a real joke. Okay, quickly. Unethical, but e- not illegal. Campaign finance experts say Trump's solicitation of funds for non-existent election defense fund and subsequent direction of that money to his leadership pack was unethical, but probably stopped short of outright illegality. Quote, there's certainly a long list of examples of politicians and political committees stretching the truth or using inflammatory messages in order to raise money. Uh, it was a quote from campaign finance expert Brandon Fisher. But I think uh, what the Trump campaign was doing in the wake of the 2020 election brought to certainly another level. Another level indeed. Uh, before we finish off here, let's uh, you know, a little comment from the, uh, from the man himself. Uh, let's see. Trump did not comment course not on the 250 million dollar the dollars the committee claims he raised after the election but he issued a 12-page statement june 13th criticizing the committee which he characterized as a quote kangaroo court (laughs) quote 17 months after the events of january 6th democrats are unable to offer solutions he wrote he wrote this donald trump can write stuff oh boy they are desperate to change the narrative of failing nation without even making mention of the havoc and death caused by the radical left just month, months earlier. Okay, we're going to finish this. Make no mistake, they control the government. They own this disaster. They are hoping that these hearings will somewhat alter their failing prospects. What? Um, guys? Um, death and havoc caused by the radical left months earlier? What, what the fuck is he talking about? Does anybody know? Uh, what radical left uh, group caused... Death and havoc months early before 
January 6th. I'm at a loss. Maybe uh, some of you friends on Twitter c can fill me into this of what the uh, radical left, uh, what havoc and death they caused months earlier. I, I mean, of course, he didn't specify what the fuck he was talking about. But that is, uh, I'm at a loss. Trump, man, you are something. And uh, like I said, uh, I wrote a piece way back, uh, you know, in a hypothetical piece it was about the, the potential uh, of, uh, you know, Trump facing uh, some sort of criminal uh, charges. But... Um, you know, facing potential, you know, I got to emphasize potential uh, financial crimes, uh, especially in the Southern District of New York. Anyway, so listen, you know, I, I had some optimism. You know, when I wrote that piece uh, several months ago about, uh, you know, Trump uh, and some of his minions facing charges. But by the way, look, by the way, it looks, uh, it would really be a shocker at this point to see old Donnie ever end up in a defendant chair in a federal courtroom. Okay, so lastly... Due to the uh, recent topics poll on Twitter, we're going to take a quick look into what's happening um, currently with U.S.-China relations, especially in regards to the Taiwan issue, which is becoming a hot-button topic considering some of Joe Biden's unscripted responses to some questions about Taiwan and how U.S. would react if China ever invaded Taiwan. I've got a Reuters piece here. Uh, let's see here. we got Reuters. Oh, we love Reuters. U.S. rebuffs China by calling Taiwan straight an international waterway. Uh, the United States on Tuesday backed Taiwan's assertion that the strait separating the island from China is an international roarway. A further rebuff to Beijing's claim to exercise sovereignty over the strategic passage. The Taiwan Strait has been a frequent source of military tension since the defeated Republic of China government fled to Taiwan in 1949 after losing a civil war with the communists who, who established the PRC, People's Republic of China, which we all know was Chairman Mao. In recent years, uh, U.S. warships and on occasion those from allied nations such as Britain and Canada have sailed through the strait, drawing Beijing's anger. Now, isn't that kind of like, aren't they kind of egging them on by doing that? I mean, that's, uh, you, do we ever see Chinese, uh, you know, Chinese warships, uh, you know, sailing by Los Angeles, you know, or California? So, I mean, it seems like we're just kind of baiting them. I mean, or we're just trying to show our might, you know, and, you know, Britain, Canada, you know, obviously U.S., Britain, and Canada, you know, like this. You know, I got my fingers crossed like, well, you know, like this. Anyway, on Monday, China's foreign minister, ministry said the country, quote, has sovereignty, sovereign rights and jurisdiction over the Taiwan Strait. And it called it a false claim when certain countries called it Taiwan Strait, quote, international waters. Commenting on Tuesday, U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price said in an email to Reuters, quote, the Taiwan Strait is an international waterway, meaning that the Taiwan Strait is an area where high seas freedom, including freedom of navigation and overflight, are guaranteeing under international law, end quote. Uh, the world has, quote, an abiding interest in peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, and we consider this central to the security and prosperity of the broader Indo-Pacific region, Price added. A lot of this, I mean, I mean, I know this has kind of been going on for, for a little while, especially with the whole South China Sea thing. You know, China building islands, you know, in the middle of the, uh, in the sea there. And, you know, China's not completely innocent in this. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of bullying some of those, uh, you know, the Vietnam, some of those countries there. Uh, but this is not the United States. Uh, this, that's not our, our place, man. You know, I mean, like I said, does China come down to the Caribbean and get involved in our uh, backyard? I know, like, you know, we, you know, and I don't think this rings true anymore, but, you know, I used, the United States was like the world police at one point, and we failed miserably. We, we failed miserably uh, in that, uh, with that job, uh, you know, with Iraq and, and Afghanistan, many other things. We, we, we completely fucked everything up, 
So I think we should, uh, you know, we should really quit on that. You know, know, I'm glad we got out of Afghanistan and I don't even know about Iraq. I'm sure we're still fucking around over there. But I'm just glad that, uh, you know, we've toned down the whole uh, Team America World Police thing. Anyway, let's uh, see here. Early on Tuesday, Taiwan Foreign Ministry spokesman Joanne Wu called China's position a fallacy. On Wednesday, Taiwan Premier Su Sang Chang said the strait was by no means China's in- inland sea. Quote, China's ambition to swallow up Taiwan has never stopped or been uh, concealed. The Taiwan Strait is a maritime area for free international navi- uh, navigation. Now, um, it actually would be very similar in a sense because, you know, you'd have a, a, a just a giant country with a, you know, a, a billion uh, population against a much smaller uh, you know, kind of like a Russia-Ukraine similarity. Taiwan, I believe they said, is 24 million uh, citizens on that island. Ukraine's 44 million. But it'd be similar in the sense that, um, you know, the Taiwan gets a lot of weapons from the United States, a lot of funding from us, you know, and, uh, you know, Biden obviously made some comments about, you know, uh, some, some tough talk about protecting Taiwan. So, you know, I know we, we didn't uh, do any, you know, we didn't send any troops over there to help the Ukraine. But it sounds like if China actually, like, uh, did with, uh, you know, had the, had the gumption or balls to do what Putin did, I think it sounds like uh, uh, the United States under Joe Biden's guide would actually get involved, which would be quite scary. China's ta- Taiwan Affairs Office at the government in Taipei was, quote, cooperating with, with external forces to, quote, hype up the issue. This, quote, harms the interest of compatriots on both sides of the Taiwan Strait and betrays the interest of the Chinese nation. Quote, it is despicable. Office spokesman Mao Ma Zengguang. Oh, I got that one. <laughs> Said in Beijing. Finishing this off here. China has never renounced the use of force to bring Taiwan under its control and views the island as an inherent part of the Chinese territory. That's some, uh, speaking tough talk, that's some tough talk right there. You know, um, you know, basically come out and saying that's our that you know that's this is our uh, fucking island, and uh, you know if anybody wants to uh, you know try to try to uh, change that, there's going to be hell to pay. And like I said, China, you know, I'm always going to say United States number one military, and you know the amount of money we we spend on the military, we better have you know the, the, the cream of the crop in the military because you know our military budget last year was 800 million dollars. Was it 800? I think it was 800. So we better have the top military in the world. And I know China is um, catching up to us, but, um, well, you know, you look at that, you know, like hoping that, uh, you know, certainly hoping that uh, World War Three isn't going to break out uh, under, uh, you know, due to that sort of thing. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, so let's see, there's some scary stuff there repeating that. Because if you think the Russian-Ukrainian war, you know, has gotten out of hand, the death probe, Death toll, excuse me, is rising by the day. Just imagine if the two most powerful militaries on Earth uh, cross one another and it breaks into a, a full-scale combat. If that does ever happen, states all over this country will be opening nuclear fallout shelters for sure. Anyway, I'm glad you joined me this week. Mrs. Rambler uh, wanted to be on. I, I know I mentioned that last week, which has been working very hard. So hopefully next week she can join us. And I'm also hoping to make uh, some appearances on some very cool podcasts in the coming weeks. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say it's a definite yet. Got some things I'm doing, you know, in the old, uh, in the old private life. But we're hoping we can get on their shows. One is called the 805 Uncensored Podcast, which uh, I'd uh, all tell you, tell you tune in. Uh, the dude from California, and I, I like the show. I listened to an episode, 
and it was pretty cool. And I'm hoping to be on that in early July. We're hoping to bring back guests here in the Rambler because uh, I think it's uh, 13, 14 solo rambles in a row, and I really enjoy having guests. You know, I enjoy having guests who who know a lot more about things than maybe I do. Uh, you know, having uh, I remember Malik Dukuri. It was brilliant. We got to talk about uh, colonization in Africa. I learned a lot. Uh, we had a few others. We had the, my my pal, the Manic Pixie Weirdo uh, podcast uh, lady there, and we talked about a lot of things. I was on her show. You know, we, we actually have a good chemistry there. Um, you know, I think we do anyway on the shows. So um, really hope to bring guests back. But you know, I gotta I gotta settle some stuff down over here uh, on the home front. But yeah, I really hope that 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 can be a reality again because. Um, that was the, probably the became anyway the most enjoyable part of doing these shows is uh, you know making guest appearances on other shows and uh, guests coming on here. Oh, and pretty soon I'm also hoping to start doing a video podcast for the old anchor, and uh, not only doing video podcasts but having a YouTube channel and everything. So, so I really hope that uh, you know I can get doing that, uh, get to doing that. <laughs> Anyway, let me not keep rambling. Oh, wait, I'm the rambler. So, But anyway, I'm not going to ramble too much more. Anyway, so, um, yeah, this was uh, episode 51. Oh, one, one more thing. Uh, Twitter folks out there, thank you for your birthday wishes. Really appreciate it. I love you guys from all over the world. You know, uh, you folks, uh, you know, it was, it was very heartwarming. Uh, very heartwarming indeed. Okay, so that was episode 51. You know, I'm a gentle rambler. Signing off.